We're going to go back to Genesis today. I titled my message, it's up there on the screen, The Dreamer and His Coat of Many Colors. So, as we return to Genesis, not the adults, let's look to the kids. Can somebody tell me who we are going to be talking about today by the title up on the screen? Any of you kids know who I'm going to be talking about? The dreamer. Come on, who's the dreamer and who had a coat of many colors? Who? Joseph. You knew that. You just didn't want to say. You just knew that. Joseph. We're going to be talking about Joseph. Joseph is the main character. He is the hero of the story, if you will. For the next 14 chapters, Joseph's the hero. He is mentioned twice as many times as his father, Jacob. It's Joseph who takes center stage as he is used by God to fulfill God's plans and purposes, to raise up a nation, the nation of Israel, to save them from famine, to save them from starvation. It is Joseph that God uses mightily. Joseph is the great-grandson of Abraham. And we know that God told Abraham, promised Abraham, that in you all the world will be blessed. I will make you a great nation. And God uses Joseph in a mighty way. Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we read the scripture this morning. Heavenly Father, we do praise you and magnify you. We thank you that you are an awesome God, that you are the creator of all things. We thank you, Father, uh, for the earth and all that is in it. We thank you, Father, that you created man, that you've given us life. And Father, that you desire to have a relationship with each one of us. We thank you and praise you for that. We thank you for your holy word. And Father, I just pray that as we speak of your word today, I pray that you would just speak to our hearts and our minds. Help us all to receive what you have for us. Father, may our hearts be soft and open to receive that word. And Lord, may it grow in our hearts. Father, may we be used mightily for your will and for your purposes in this world, Father. Father, we know that we're going to learn how you use Joseph, but Father, we know that you have a calling for each of us, and may we be faithful. May your Spirit guide us and direct us. May your Spirit be upon us today for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to look to Genesis chapter 37, verses 1 through 20, and then verses 26 through 28. Now Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. This is the history of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers. And the lad was with the sons of Belaiah and the sons of Zilpha, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. Now Israel, I want to pause there for a moment. It begins with now Jacob dwelt in the land. And now it says, now Israel loved Joseph more than all of his children. Jacob and Israel are the same person. I want to make sure I clear that up. You know, a pastor friend once told me, don't preach as if, as if everyone knows all about the Bible. Jacob and Israel are the same person. So that way, you know, you're not confused. So now Israel loved Joseph more than all of his children because he was the son of his old age. Also, he made him a tunic of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. So he said to them, Please hear this dream which I have dreamed. There we were, 
I like that. There we were, binding sheaves in the field. Then behold, my sheave arose and also stood upright, and indeed your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheave. And his brothers said to him, Shall you indeed reign over us, or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed still another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Look, I have dreamed another dream. And this time the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars bowed down to me. So he told it to his father and his brothers. And his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Then his brothers went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers feeding the flock in Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. So he said to them, Here I am. Said to him, Here I am. Then he said to him, Please go and see if it is well with your brothers and well with the flock and bring back word to me. So he sent him out of the valley of Hebron and he went to Shechem. Now a certain man found him and there he was wandering in the field. So he's wandering around the field. He got lost. He couldn't find his brothers. So he said, I am seeking my brothers. Please tell me where they are feeding the flock. And the man said, They have departed from here. For I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them in Dothan. Now when they saw him afar off, how did they see him afar off? Well, he's in that bright colored jacket or coat that his father made him. You could see him probably a mile away. So even before he came near, they conspired against him to kill him. Then they said to one another, Look, this dreamer is coming. Come therefore, let us now kill him and cast him into some pit, and we shall say, Some wild beast has devoured him. We shall, <clears throat> we shall see what will become of his dreams. And then picking up verse 26. So Judah said to his brothers, What profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hands be upon him. For he is our brother and our flesh. And his brothers listened. The Midianite traders passed by, so the brothers pulled Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. And there will be more to come in the following weeks. But may God add His blessings to the hearing and the reading of His holy word. This part of the story of Joseph begins with Joseph bringing a bad report to his father concerning his brothers. Belea and Zelpha were the midwives, or the maidservants, I should say, the maidservants of Leah and Rachel. The sons of Belea were Dan and Nephtali, and the sons of Zilpha were Gad and Asher. We all know that Jacob had twelve sons, and these were four of them born of the maidservants. Now the scripture does not give us evidence of the wrong or the evil that the brothers were doing to cause this bad report that he brought back to his father. We could only guess. You know, we don't know. Was he, were they, not he, were they stealing from their father? Were they not caring for the sheep as they should have been? Were they getting involved with the people of the land? We don't know. We can only guess what it was. 
But whatever the reason was, we see right away in the story of Joseph that he was a man of integrity. He was bound by this integrity to tell the truth. Now whether he went back to his father and just tattletailed on his, on his brothers, we don't know. It could be that his father knew that he was a man of integrity, a young man of integrity, and asked him, how are your brothers doing caring for the sheep? He knew that he would get the truth when he asked Joseph. And Joseph lived out his life in integrity. We'll see as we go on in the following weeks that he was a man of integrity throughout his entire life. I found an illustration of integrity. Booker T. Washington described meeting an ex-slave from Virginia in his book, Up From Slavery. He says, I found that this man had made a contract with his master two or three years prior to the Emancipation Proclamation to the effect that the slave was permitted to buy himself from the master by paying so much per year for his body. And while he was paying for himself, he was permitted to labor wherever and for whomever he pleased. So he didn't have to stay with that master. He could go wherever he wanted where he could make more money. So finding that he could secure better wages in Ohio, he went there. And when freedom came, he was still in debt to his master to about $300. Notwithstanding that the Emancipation Proclamation actually freed him from any obligation to his master, this black man walked the greater portion of the distance to where his old master lived in Virginia and placed the last dollar with interest in his hands. He did not have to, but he did. In talking to me about this, the man told me that he knew that he did not have to pay his debt, but he had given his word to his master, and his word he had never broken. He felt that he could not enjoy his freedom till he had fulfilled his promise to his master. Are we men and women of integrity? Joseph's story, his life, could be, could be considered one of the most fascinating found in the Old Testament. I know that Moses' story is very fascinating. Joseph's story has been used by creative artists for centuries. In 1742, Henry Felding patterned the hero of Joseph Andrews after the biblical Andrew, biblical Joseph. The following year, Handel produced his oratorio, Joseph. Over a period of 16 years, the German novelist Thomas Mann wrote four novels based on the life of Joseph. I thought of this and I thought, wow, well, I'll look that up and see if we can find them. In the modern era, we have the rock and totter Joseph in the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat and his song, Any Dream Will Do. So many over the centuries have admired Joseph and used his life as an example of stories and plays and all sorts of things. Joseph's story is the beginning of Israel's history surrounding their captivity in Egypt and their deliverance from slavery. Joseph was the eleventh son of his father Jacob. He was the firstborn son of Jacob's wife Rachel. And as I shared some weeks back because we you know, had Christmas that Rachel was Jacob's favorite wife. He was the one that she wanted, that he wanted. The only one that he really wanted 
was Rachel. He was the one that he agreed to work seven years for. He told Laban, I will work for seven years for your daughter Rachel. You'll give her to me as a wife. So he worked those seven years, if you remember. And Laban tricked him. Gave him Leah instead. So then he worked an additional seven years, 14 years, to get Rachel, the one that he liked. It was his favorite wife. And he did not try to hide the fact that she was his favorite wife. And that created a constant rivalry within that family. And it would appear that this rivalry, rivalry continued with their children, with Jacob's children. You know, most parents that have more than one child hope that their children will get along with one another. They really do, don't you? You hope your kids will get along. You hope that they play well together, they'll share their toys you hope that they'll watch out for one another, protect one from the bullies you know in school that you'll come upon. They hope that as they grow and have their own families, that they'll continue to get along very well and, and love one another. But I did say dreaming, right? You're dreaming about this. You dream that your kids will do that. But in reality, when you have multiple children, you are dealing with multiple personalities. You're dealing with multiple temperaments, right? There will be jealousies. There will be competition at some point. The best we can hope for that it is not extreme, that it doesn't turn to hatred. Jacob's brothers, Joseph's brothers, hated him. But you know, Jacob did not help calm the jealousies and the resentment that his brothers had towards Joseph. As a matter of fact, he added fuel to the fire. He added fuel to their anger and their resentment towards Joseph by making him that coat of many colors. A coat that would resemble one in which a ruler would wear. Not the coat of a normal shepherd, but a coat with long sleeves that went all the way down to the ankles and many, many colors. Very beautiful coat. But not only did this coat remind his brothers Every time they looked at him, it reminded them that he was their favorite, his favorite son. But there was most likely an underlying meaning in this coat you might not have thought about. It was Jacob's way of letting the entire family know that Joseph had been chosen to be his heir. In Jacob's mind, it was Rachel that he had worked for. It was Rachel that he loved. It was Rachel that he wanted. And Joseph was Rachel's firstborn. So in Jacob's mind, Joseph deserved to be the heir. I mean, look at Jacob's life. He got the birthright for a bowl of stew. He tricked his father and got the blessing. So the younger did become the heir. And it followed suit in his children also. In his eyes, Joseph was the heir. Being the apple of his father's eyes was not, was not all that Joseph had going for him. In chapter 39, it says that Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. So he was amazingly good looking. Remember, his, his mother was beautiful. Rachel was a beautiful woman. So he was good looking in features and body. 
So not only was his father's favorite, he was the best looking among them. Imagine the comments from his brothers. Oh, there's pretty boy. Oh, there's daddy's little pet. I mean, he probably heard it all the time. He was blessed by God. Blessed with good looks. Blessed with great features. But blessed with dreams. Blessed with the ability to interpret dreams. Though being a young man of only 17 years, I think he lacked the wisdom to not share those dreams with his brothers. I mean, come on, think about it. He knew that they hated him. And you're going to tell them about a dream where they bow down to you? The dream of their seeds bowing down to his? I think he might not have fully understood the dreams at that time. These gifts and talents, you know, they may have also made Joseph a little proud, maybe a little arrogant. He's only 17, come on. He's a teenager. But in the eyes of his siblings, he was arrogant. Arrogant. But you know, I believe that he understood that God had a plan for his life. I think he at least knew that much. God had a plan for his life. But all these things just made his brothers hate him even more. More and more. You know, when one person or one particular group of people appear to receive special treatment, oftentimes, what is the result? Hatred. Hatred towards that group. Just like with Joseph. Hatred towards that person or towards that group of people. So this is my New Year's message, right? This past year, this year that's behind us now, 2020 was definitely a year with many challenges for everyone, wasn't it? You know, with the pandemic, which has caused so much financial hardship for families that haven't been able to work the way they would normally work, with businesses that have had to close or else cut way back, or people learning how to do their job from home instead of at work, learning how to teach from home and kids learning how to learn from home, all these things, learning how to adapt. It is 2020 was definitely a challenge, right? It has changed much of the way life happens in our world today. Even churches, as we are experiencing, have had to adapt how we do church. But on top of all the tension caused by the pandemic, our nation in 2020 has experienced a lot of social unrest. And there are multiple factors causing the unrest in our nation. One word that has been described to cause this unrest is inequality. Such as the inequality in the financial realm of things. The gap between the wealthy and the so-called middle class gets wider and wider and wider. That causes a lot of hatred towards other people. Those that do have wealth. And another inequality is that when one race believes that they are not getting treated the same as another race. And my friends, it is real. You know, I feel that I could go down to any city and probably walk down any street without the fear of a police officer thinking, what's that troublemaker getting into? It is real. 
My daughter Rosanna shared months ago that she has a friend of color that she is fearful that when her children go out that the police are going to target her children. My friends, that's a genuine fear. The people of color have that fear that they walk down the street. Is that police officer going to think what trouble are they going to cause? What are they getting to? They, they look at them with a different mindset than they look at white people. I hate to say it, but it is true. It is true. It is a fact. And there's no easy answer to fix that problem. When I was thinking about the riots and all the unrest that happened in 2020, I thought of this. Now, let me get this out and then I'll explain. I thought about how children sometimes, when they're young, well, maybe even teenagers, I don't know, but you know, sometimes they, beha they behave very badly. They'll break something, or they'll say something really mean to get attention because they feel their parents weren't listening to them. So, well, you know what? Any attention's better than none. They'll be very bad just to get attention. Now, I'm not comparing the inequality or the, the, the racism that's in our nation to the behavior of a child. But I think one of the root causes of the unrest and the upheaval is that they genuinely believe that they are not heard. I believe that. They genuinely believe that they are not heard. They have spoken their concerns for years. And it's like no one has listened. So what have they done? We're going to get people's attention a different way. Riots. Burning down buildings. Now I'm not saying that it's right. It is not right to destroy other people's property. But it has gotten people's attention, hasn't it? As I said, there's no easy answer. But hopefully, it's time for the riots to stop. And sit down and talk with one another. And really listen. And really listen. I don't have all the answers to, set, to fix such a complicated problem. But I know for certain what won't fix the problem. And that is hatred. Hatred will not fix it. More hatred is not going to fix the problem. As believers, we can make a difference, church, by responding the way God's Word tells us to respond. Proverbs 10, 11 and 12 says, The mouth of the righteous is a well of life, but violence covers the mouth of the wicked. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. And in 1 John 2, 9 through 11, it says, He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness until now. My friends, I don't care if your neighbor, your brother is black, green, yellow, red. I don't care what color he is, but if you hate him, you are not walking in the light. You cannot claim to be a Christian and hate your neighbor. Verse 10 says, He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Joseph's brothers hated him 
My friends, hatred's not the answer. I know God was using that hatred to cause His plan to be fulfilled. Joseph had that second dream and shared it with his brothers. You would think that after he saw how angry his brothers got the first time, that he wouldn't have shared that second dream. But he did. He even told old dad about the dream. Verse 10, So he told it to his father and his brothers, and his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come down, bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in his mind. I shared that again because of the word envy. The Hebrew word for envy, as used here in this passage, is kanal. K-A-W-N-A-W. And you know, as I thought about that, I just this is my rendition of this. It's something that keeps gnawing at you. Come on. It keeps gnawing at you. When you feel you've been wrong, it just this gnaws and gnaws away at you until you're so angry. You're, you're just filled with hatred. The real meaning of envy here is stronger than just a normal jealousy. It means jealousy, envy to the point of zealousness to provoke one to do something bad. So you see, that was their envy. It provoked them. It gnawed at them till they decided, let's kill him. Let's kill him. Let's do away with him. It was because of envy that the chief priest handed Jesus over to be crucified. Mark 15, 9 and 10. But Pilate answered, and sa- answered them saying, Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? For he knew that the chief priest had handed him over because of of envy. Envy. They hated Jesus. They kept gnawing at Him until they decided we're going to kill Him. Envy, friends, leads to hatred. And hatred causes men to do the unthinkable. It caused the chief priest to murder the Messiah. It caused Joseph's ten brothers to actually sell him to Midianite traders for twenty shekels of silver. Think about that. 20 shekels of silver, you just sold your brother. There's 10 of them. That's two shekels apiece. You just sold your brother for two shekels. Though they actually murdered him in their hearts because they hated him. They hated him because he was different. The coat of many colors that his father made was actually an outward symbol that he was set apart, that he was different than his shepherd brothers. It set him apart for a higher calling, if you will. One greater than even his father Jacob knew. One greater, I believe, than he knew at the time. You know, not all are called to the same thing. Joseph was one of twelve brothers. They were all part of the same family, that God promised that all the world would be blessed. Judah, he was not the brother chosen to be the one to go and save the family from famine, but Judah was the one chosen through whom the Messiah would come, was he not? So they all had their calling. In the 11th century, King Henry III of Bavaria, he grew tired of court life and the pressures of being a monarch. 
he made application to the prior Richard at the local monastery, asking to be accepted as a con contemplative and send and spend, not send, and spend the rest of his life in the monastery. Your Majesty, said Prior Richard, do you understand that the pledge here is one of obedience? That will be hard because you have been a king. I understand, said Henry. The rest of my life I will be obedient to you as Christ leads you. Then I will tell you what to do, said Prior Richard. Go back to your throne and serve faithfully in the place where God has put you. When King Henry died, a statement was written. The king learned to rule by being obedient. When we tire of our roles and responsibilities, it helps to remember that God has planted us in a certain place and told us to be a good, account, a good accountant, to be a good teacher, to be a good mother, to be a good father, to be good where God has placed you. Christ expects us to be faithful where He puts us. And when He returns, we'll rule together with Him. Be faithful with where He has put you. You are called. Trust in Him and be faithful to whatever calling He may have for you and your life. Knowing this for certain, that we are called to be His servants. And when we are faithful to Him, the world will hate you. Because it hated Him. John 15, 18-27. This is the New Living Translation. If the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it. But you are no longer part of the world, friends. You are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world. Set, um, I added this. The italics is mine. It's not up there. You are set apart. You're to wear a coat of a different color. You are set apart. Called of God. So I chose you to come out of the world so it hates you. Do you remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than his master. Since they persecuted me naturally, they will persecute you. And if they listen to me, they would listen to you. They will do, to, do all this to you because of me, for they have rejected the one who sent me. They would not be guilty if, they, if I had not come and spoken to them, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Anyone who hates me also hates the Father. If I had done such miraculous signs, if I hadn't done such miraculous signs among them, that no one else could do, they would not be guilty. But as it is, they have seen everything I did, yet they still hate me and my Father. This fulfills what is written in the Scriptures. They hated me without cause, but I will send you an advocate, the Spirit of Truth. He will come to you from the Father and will testify about me. And you must also testify about me, because you have been with me from the beginning of my ministry." My friends, God used the hatred of Joseph's brothers to, to fulfill His plan for the nation of Israel. To save them from a famine. To send them into Egypt where they actually grew and multiplied greatly. Seventy went in and they, they come out, it was over a million. God used Joseph in this plan. 
He used that hatred. Prayerfully, God will use all that we experienced in the last year, all that our nation has went through. Even maybe He can use that hatred to help us grow to be better people, people filled with love, His love, rather than the hatred. May the Spirit of God move upon this nation. Especially, may the Spirit of God move upon His church. And may we be faithful to Him in this coming year. Faithful to serve Him. Faithful to share His love. To make a difference. That's the only way we can make a difference is through the power of His Spirit in us. And His love through us. We are to be a spring, a well, if you will, of life, of hope, of living water to those that are all around us. Hatred will only produce more hatred. We can make a difference with the love of Christ when it fills us, fills our hearts and overflows out of us. So let's make a difference in this coming year. Be intentional. I believe is Rosanna's word, intentional. We need to be intentional in our walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't just haphazardly go through this life, but be intentional to share His love with those that He places in your path. Amen? Amen.